Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release, presented by Verizon, coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Weird House Cinema. This is Rob Lamb. And this is Joe McCormick. This week on Weird House Cinema, we're going to continue our ongoing jaunt through 1980s fantasy films. Uh, we, we didn't, I don't think we quite intended to do this, but, but this is the journey we're on. We kicked things off with Thrilling Bloody Sword, then we returned to Oz, uh, then we visited Kroll, and we're actually in the same cinematic year as Kroll for this episode, 1983. Uh, this time we're going to be talking about Italian gore master Lucio Fulci's film, Conquest. I'd say this is a decidedly different vibe than Crawl. <laughs> if, <laughs> if Crawl is kind of a, a lofty but dopey but beautiful but highly disorganized uh, uh, high fantasy attempt, this movie is a uh, hallucinatory sort of disturbed child's imagination of a Conan ripoff. Uh, yeah, it is a totally different film from Crawl. That is, that is for sure. It is, it is, it is like a, it is like a dream. I feel like the movie needs a disclaimer at the beginning that says the film you're about to experience is a dream. Uh, because once you embrace the, the dreamlike qualities of a Fulci film, I, I think it kind of frees you up a little bit to, <laughs> uh, to, 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 uh, to, to speak or listen to the language of the film. I think, it is. I mean, we've compared Fulci to to dreams a number of times before, but it's 
Oh, it's almost more like it in this case than any of the other ones. Uh, mm-hmm. I I had a weird point of comparison here. So, Rob, do you remember a uh, a children's horror TV show on Nickelodeon called Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yes. So there was a time when I was a kid when I went to school and I had a memory of an Are You Afraid of the Dark episode that I was trying to describe to some friend of mine on, on the playground, I think. And the memory of that episode was that it was about a scarecrow who had a chainsaw and he (laughs) ran into a school and was like cutting up students at the school with the chainsaw. Now, I don't think that's a real episode of the show. I think I dreamed it or something and then mistook that memory of the dream for a real episode of this TV show. And that would not be an episode of this children's horror TV show. The most grisly thing that ever happened on it was probably like a vampire bite somebody. Yeah. Uh, And yet I would say Conquest is like that memory of an Are You Afraid of the Dark episode. Yeah, I think that's a valid comparison. It is like the deranged dream memory of another film or of, or of all barbarian films. Um, yes. Because like the, the, the influences are there. It's certainly when you're, when you're dig- digging around in Italian B cinema of the eighties, uh, it, it's easy to point like, Oh, well they got, they got this little bit from uh, Indiana Jones. Uh, you know, here's a little bit of Conan sprinkled here, etc. And, and that's fair. But a lot of times it's also more, Overt. I feel like maybe it's a little less overt in uh, in this particular picture. But the dreamlike quality very strong. Uh, the, I mean, the picture is hazy, as if viewed through a mist. An effect that I was reading was generated via smoke machines and soft focus lens filter. The narrative is strange, and despite the trappings of genre and, and obvious cinematic inspirations, it's it's difficult to predict what's going to happen in this film. Uh, <laughs> like even this is like the third or fourth time I watched it. Well. I watched it twice over the weekend, but um, but still, like I'm, I'm, I've seen it enough times that I should know everything that's going to happen, and yet I really didn't feel like I kn- knew exactly where we were going at any point. So this is definitely not your first runaround with Conquest. When you suggested doing this for the show, you were already a Conquest veteran. <laughs> yes, and I feel like it gets better every time I see it. Um, uh, and and that may th- that may be infinite. Like every time I see this movie, it will get better. It'll get more coherent and uh, and, and and more uh, contemplative somehow. Uh, it is. It's like a it's like a dream that keeps like a recurring dream. And the gore is also dreamlike. Uh, you know, like as with most Fulci movies, it's surreal at times. It presents kind of a you get a weird sense of fixation on the fragility of the flesh in it. Uh, it's full of magic and monsters. They're alien voices. They're dreams within dreams. Um, yeah, and while I, you know, I, I'll, I'll be the first to admit this is not a film for everyone. Lucio Fulci is not for everyone, but I feel like it does draw the viewer in with a certain hypnotic power. Uh, no, viewer, be warned. This one is gross, like like <laughs> all Fulci movies. But yeah, it it is nasty. Yeah, it's but it's like it's like exposing yourself to a religious text from another dimension. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's 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 a weird one, and, and maybe that's just part of it is just me reading more and more into it each time I see it. Mm-hmm. No, it's like that. Um, 
You know that trope in the movie where a character has a recurring dream and every time they have the dream, they get a little bit farther into it. They're like a little farther down the hall and they're going to open the door and see what's on the <laughs> other side. I imagine that's you with watching Conquest. So eventually one of these days, you're going to put it on and you're going to see the other side of the door and what's yeah. there. It's it's bats. It's bats flying around in the cave and you got to go <laughs> ah, 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 to, to knock them down. <laughs> Now, to be sure, yeah, this is this is definitely an Italian B movie as well. It's well, technically, it's a Mexican Spanish Italian production, uh, and has, so many of the expected budgetary constraints are very much in place. So it has all of those charms. Uh, you're, it's certainly a film that you can watch and, and and laugh at and enjoy yourself. Though I don't want to build it up like what like this is just a pure uh, you know fantasy surrealist art film. Like no, no, no. There's there's plenty of genre stuff and and B movie fun to be had in the picture as well. Now, this movie is also what's known as a peplum film, uh, which descended from Hercules author Robert A. Rushing points out is a term that generally, generally it's going beyond dismissive categorizations such as sword and sandal or gladiator films or uh, what, what's your favorite uh, term for the, for this sort of picture, Joe? Oh, what, the Leather Diaper Barbarian movie? Yes, Leather Diaper Barbarian movie. But uh, generally, especially you know, when talking about Italian cinema, apparently peplum is often used to, quote, signal a more serious stance, though Rushing also points out that these films are, are very often not taken seriously and many very much invite mockery. But that doesn't mean that there's not a lot to read into them given the, the their, their palettes of histories real and imagined, the fetishization of masculine and feminine bodies, violence, Smith and more, and he does discuss conquest in the book, noting Fulci's quote, loving treatment for the body's disintegration. Uh-huh. And he spends a fair amount of uh, time in the book talking about what this means. Um, I won't attempt to summarize it, but I think it kind of speaks volumes for the sort of mystery cult that kind of rises up around Fulci films, you know, like people people really get into Fulci films because they're, they, again, they have all these B-movie qualities to them, they're gore movies, but there is this strange dream-like intensity to it, and some of the fixations in these films are also really odd. Yes, uh, I, I I agree. The, the, like, the juiciness is not just gross, it is it is weird in a kind of fascinating way. Like the, mm-hmm. there's a scene in conquest where uh, one of the heroes is hit with a poison dart and uh, we get to just watch his wound, like, like gush juice for, I don't know, several minutes <laughs> in close up. And uh, the Fulci's fascination with just the juice coming out of the dart wound as like the poison uh, gets into the guy's blood. There's something so unappealing about it and the the choice to focus on that like gross image that makes you think that there must be like some kind of transcendent truth hidden there you're like why why are we still looking at this there's some mystery to it yeah that's that's actually the yeah the main thing that rushing focuses on talking about like well that and also the something else that happens later we'll get into that we'll get into spoilers but yeah they're, they're the boils have like six minutes of screen time just panning up <laughs> And down the body and he actually he does draw on this specifically and points out that in a lot of these peplum movies you spend a lot of time with the camera kind of dragging itself over um, untarnished flesh generally the untarnished flesh of your central muscle man character mm-hmm. uh, this film is instead going to focus on pus covered in, in boil ridden uh, flesh that's Ugh. just the sort of film that Fulci makes 
But then again, there is something kind of different and distinguished about Fulci's use of this nasty imagery. Like, I, I think it's not a coincidence. There is some reason why there are tons of academic books and papers and, and film criticism about Fulci that there is not nearly to the same extent for lots of other just makers of gross, gory films where there's blood flying all over the place. Yeah. Now you might wonder, well, where can I, where can I see this movie? Well, um, I'd rented it twice before from Atlanta's own Videodrome. And I believe this would have been uh, subsequent rentals anyway, were the blue underground DVD that came out years back. Uh, however, for this viewing, I picked up uh, the special edition Blu-ray of it, a 2019 Code Red special edition Blu-ray with special cover art by heavy metal artist Wes Binscotter, uh, who I think has done like a lot of like really cool grisly images for various bands. Uh, you can look him up online. But uh, yeah, this this is a, a really awesome Blu-ray package. I usually don't get that into the physical Blu-ray, like like the, the need to own it and add it to my permanent collection. But with this one, I got kind of obsessed and had to hunt it down. Um, it's a little hard to find if you want the, like, the special edition art, but the disc itself is widely available. Um, and you can, you can rent or buy this most places. It is a 2019 uh, HD master of the film. And um, I don't know how different the film quality actually is compared to the DVD. I mean, this is not a film where I, I feel like the, the difference is necessarily night and day, but it's still, it's still a very nice special edition. Well, with Conquest, a lot of the grime is not something that happened to the film over time. I think it is right. baked in from the beginning. Like the joke when I was very first introduced to this movie was that uh, that the, they had shot it by smearing Vaseline on the lens <laughs> of the camera. Yeah, yeah. And you definitely get that kind of vibe. I mean, right from the get-go, you're on this this shore and it's like in this world of dream and stuff's fading in and out of existence and everything's hazy. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it has a distinct look to it. So yeah, this film's widely available. If you want to see it, uh, di you can digitally rent or buy it from Apple or prime. You can stream it on such services as shout TV, Tubi, Plex, Freebie. I'm not sure what that is, but it, it exists as a place where you can get it. And uh, yeah, it's come out over the years on DVD and VHS, uh, sometimes with some pretty awesome cover art. I included some of these for you here, Joe, uh, including that, uh, that, that, that recent image by, um, uh, by Wes Binscotter here. But even the, like the, the, some of the original art was pretty incredible. Like there, I think uh, people are familiar with this film. You may have seen the poster that has our barbarian character, some sort of big gold um, like robot man in the background with lasers shooting out of his eyes. And then our mm -hmm. evil sorceress queen here with the golden head. That one's really cool. I also like the one where the uh, where the font that the title is printed in. Definitely, the the lowercase e and the s do not look different enough, so it looks like the movie is called Conquete. <laughs> oh, and that's something to to point out. The title of the film. Um, I think it's. Like a lot of these films, they just had different titles depending on where it was released. Like a different title in Mexico, different title in Spain, uh, different title in Italy. I think it was sometimes known as uh, as Mace the Loner uh, or something <laughs> to that effect. Uh, and there was there was an extra on the on the, the Blu-ray edition that I watched where they talked to Jorge Rivero, the the, the star, the Mexican film uh, star uh, in this uh, picture, and he points out it's like yeah I don't really I don't really know what these films were released as like they were released as so many different things he doesn't necessarily know what to refer to them as you could almost make up a name at random because Conquest 
I don't really like there's not really a conquest in the film per se. No. <laughs> No, not at all. I I can't think of one. I mean, I, I'd say the closest is that the evil, uh, the evil naked sorceress like conquers the land and she's in charge yeah. of it. And then yeah. they tried to depose her, I guess. But they're yeah. not re- the heroes are not really conquering the land. Yeah. So it it doesn't particularly make sense. But but fair enough. <laughs> so the the elevator pitch for this one, uh, I was the best I could come up with is a blood drenched mushroom trip in Hyperborea. There you go. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Though they have a pretty good one on the posters and the trailers, as uh, we may hear this in the trailer we're about to, to, to listen to. In a place beyond time comes a terrifying challenge beyond imagination. What was it again on, that was on the, the poster for Crawl? It was like the lamest uh, tagline ever. It was something like, in a place ruled by an evil beast, a hero must save a princess or something. Yeah. Yeah, something to that effect. Like, yeah, we can tell that from the poster art, but fair you enough. Could put the, some wordplay in there. <laughs> well, the one thing I like about in in a place beyond time comes a terrifying challenge beyond imagination is that it doesn't really say anything, and you can change, nope. you can switch all the nouns around, and it still makes as much sense. In a time beyond challenge comes a terrifying imagination beyond place. There you go. Oh, it makes just that's as pretty much good. Sense. Yeah. All right, let's listen to that trailer audio. From a place beyond time comes a terrifying challenge beyond imagination. Conquest. Two men join forces in a struggle for power in a realm of fear. Conquest. An act of courage to conquer the Queen of Darkness. They faced the armies of evil to win the weapons of light. Feel the power. Accept the challenge of Conquest. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting. Uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. 
If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right. Well, let's talk about some of the folks involved here. Uh, we'll start at the top. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Lucio Fulci. Uh, but again, we we did talk about him previously you know, when we covered the 1981 haunted house slash monster movie, The House by the Cemetery. That would have been last October. So uh, notable B-movie director uh, from Italy, 1927 through 1996. Um, cinematic gore master, uh, and again, there's very much kind of a mystery cult surrounding a lot of his uh, his his work. Uh, very much has a, has a fan base these days. Um, 
the, the House by the Cemetery, as we discussed, that was a, a film that had a lot of the elements that he's most famous for. Undead things, um, absolutely you know, over-the-top gore, a phantasmagorical approach that feels less concerned with cohesion of plot and more about chasing certain dreams and nightmares. He's best remembered today for his horror films of the 1980s and yeah, is without a doubt one of the titans of Italian B-cinema from this era. Uh, all of this really kicked into high gear with 1979's Zombie. Um, that was a very prolific period of his uh, career that produced some of his best-remembered films. But he'd been directing full-length films for something like 20 years at that point, including such um, horror movies as 1971's A Lizard in a Woman's Skin, 72's Don't Torture a Duckling. Uh, he did a uh, 1969 Jallo film titled One on Top of the Other, uh, but he directed a number of different genre films before the 1980s, including Westerns, spy thrillers, comedies, and more. He did a, a, a Jack London adaptation of White Fang, which um, I was reading a review of it, and someone pointed out, well, how can you tell a Lucio Fulci White Fang from any other White Fang adaptation? Well, in this one, White Fang is definitely going to rip somebody's throat out, and you get to see it all. Yep. Conquest, or, or Mace the Outcast, uh, if you will, is his only really fantasy film, and it does stand somewhat apart from his, his other movies, but uh, it has a lot of the elements you would expect. You know, there's the gore, there's the gr- gratuity, um, there are these dreamlike qualities, and it has that in spades. But it also, um, I don't know, it, 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 some, of the, some of the other Fulci films that I've seen do feel like less put together. And I felt like, like, like this is a pretty strong entry in his filmography. I feel like it doesn't, doesn't have a lot of downtime. It feels like, like everyone, despite budgetary restraints, was, was trying really hard on this one. Uh, so I think it kind of stands out. I, it might be my favorite Fulci film. I would say, actually, in other Fulci movies, the dream logic construction stands out more because the other ones that are set in the modern world and that have mm-hmm. modern characters, you're just constantly thinking, like, why? who is this? Why are they here? Why are they doing that? But you don't need – it's just setting up a, a, a sequence. You, the, he just wants to show you something. Right. Uh, so there's this dream logic about, like, how did I end up in this room? What am I doing here? Uh, but that feels weirder when it's supposedly the, the, uh, you know, the superficially rational setting of like characters from modern day New York City living in a house or something. Um, when it's in the world of conquest, it's just, you know, barbarians and sorcerers and werewolves. And there is not as much superficial expectation that people's behavior and, uh, and location should be comprehensible. Right. Like with House by the Cemetery, there are plenty of times where you might say, well, is it logical that a child would say this? Would an adult ever say this to a child? And you don't really ask those questions about a movie that's mostly about barbarians, dream warriors, werewolves, and evil queens, you know? Yeah. Thou shalt not question Conquete. <laughs> All right, some of the the writing credits on this one, and a couple of these are also uh, involved in production. Uh, I'm going to mention them uh, here. There's Giovanni Di Clemente, who has a story producer credit. Who li- he lived 1948 through 2018. Italian producer and writer. This is one of his own, only like three story credits that he has. So I think it seems fair to say that he's largely a, a producer. And the same producer who, uh, I believe, according to star uh, Jorge Rivero, at one point tried to tell them that 
they had to go ahead, just need to go ahead and, and stop filming. Like, go ahead, you know, we're done. Just make the movie out of what you've shot so far. And Fulci had to, had to like rally the cast and crew so they could keep going and keep filming. And, uh, and they did. Uh, but this is the guy who produced, this guy produced a bunch of films, including the 1991 Italian Top Gun ripoff with aliens, Blue Tornado. Gotta see that. <laughs> it looks, it looks interesting. Has David Warner in it. Oof. Now, the writer of Blue Tornado uh, is also uh, also has a screenplay credit on this, uh, Gino Capone. And then let's see, who else do we have? We have Jose Antonio de la Loma, who lived 1924 through 2004, has a screenplay production manager credit, Spanish writer, director, and producer. He wrote and directed 1982's Target Eagle, starring Jorge Rivero, Max von Sydow, George Pappard, and Chuck Connors. He also wrote the Rivero movie Counterforce in 1988, which also starred, starred George Kennedy, Andrew Stevens, Isaac Hayes, Louis Jordan, and Robert Forrester. All right, and then another screenplay credit is Carlos Vasallo, Spanish producer, writer, and director who produced and co-directed 1979's Day of the Assassin, starring Glenn Ford, Chuck Connors, Richard Roundtree, Jorge Rivero, and Henry Silva. He also produced De La Loma's 1984 film Goma 2, starring Margot Hemingway, Lee Van Cleef, Jorge Rivero, and Frank Brana. He also produced <laughs> Pit Fighter 1988, starring, you guessed it, Jorge Rivero. Uh, so, as you can imagine here, this whole team seems very much in the Jorge Rivero business. This is a lot of writers uh, for movies that apparently need a lot of writing. <laughs> yeah, and you'd ex- yeah, I really would have expected it to be more of a mess. Like generally, that's kind of a sign, right? The longer mm-hmm. the list of writing credits, the more you know, the more cooks in the kitchen. Uh, so it's it's kind of a minor miracle that this one makes as much sense as it does, or doesn't try to make more sense than it does. It strikes the right balance. Now, you've already said his name about 47 times, so I think we should talk about Jorge Rivero, who fans of Mystery Science Theater will definitely recognize as the breakout star of the movie Werewolf. Yes, uh, the 1995 film Werewolf starring Richard Lynch and Joe Estevez. Uh, I guess that's probably where I saw him for the first time. So there's, there's certainly a whole generation of film fans who probably know him best from that. He has a lot of great moments, but he plays a, a like a archaeologist named Yuri who decides he's going to create a werewolf by hitting a man with a werewolf skull. Yeah, uh, so yeah, he's he's fun in that. But um, yeah, Jorge Rivera, born 1938, a true Mexican film superstar who worked with some of the biggest international film names of the 60s and 70s, uh, and that seems to have been like really that was his his heyday, um, way before he ended up working with Joe Estevez. Um, so I already mentioned some of these pictures that had Rivero in it, and you would probably recognize some of the names involved there. But Rivero also worked with both John Wayne and El Santo. He worked with Chuck Heston, or Charles Heston. I don't know why I always call him Chuck. Uh, James Coburn. Um, yeah, he was he was working with some of the, the biggest names at the time. The, the John Wayne film in question is Rio Lobo from 1970, which was the last film directed by Howard Hawks of The Thing from Another World fame. Wow. The El Santo movie is 1967's Operation 67, and that's directed by Rene Cardona Jr. and Rene Cardona Sr. And in that one, he plays Santo's sidekick. We should watch that. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jorge Rivero is somebody who 
you know, I think you could kind of compare him to Arnold Schwarzenegger in that somebody who clearly like his original appeal is muscles. He was cast mm-hmm. for his muscles and his body, uh, but actually does have a, 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 a uh, an appealing screen presence. Even if you wouldn't say he's a very subtle, dramatic actor, uh, Jorge Rivero is, you know, you don't tune him out when he's talking, you're, you're there for it. He reminds me a little bit of John Saxon, you know, and they hmm. both have similar trajectories, both, both, started off as kind of like muscle guy, model guy kind of actors and uh, their careers long outlasted like the the youthful appeal of their bodies. Though they both mm. kept it, I mean they both kept it really tight to be clear. And as of this recording, Jorge's still around. Um uh, he, he he looks pretty pretty good for his age. He uh, he has some extras on the on the Blu-ray that I watched and he has several fun stories. There's one about when he was filming the Santo movie, like first they sent him down to, to, to uh, down to like Mexico city to train with the luchadors and they, like they beat the hell out of him because it was like, you know, really tough training. But then he was filming on location with Santo and everybody else. And then he had like a day off or a part of a day off. So he went to the grocery store and he goes in there and he sees this kind of muscular barrel shaped man buying some groceries. And uh, he has uh, like a, a nose that's clearly been broken several times, and he has a tan line that perfectly matches the uh, one version of the Santo mask. Like Santo <gasps> had a different mask for eating food or for doing an interview, and he had the tan line to match it. And so he, he goes up to him and he's like, oh, Santo. And Santo's like, don't you ever tell anybody you saw me without my mask on. It's a, it's a fun little story. Wow. But in this, he is Mace, a a barbarian, a friend of animals, an enemy of all men. He swings a stone bone set of nunchucks, and he's, he's kind of the destined savior of the world. There's an interesting dynamic where when we first meet him, he appears to be the sidekick character. Uh, but then he seems to become the actual hero of the movie. Mm hmm. Because when it first gets going, it really seems like the hero of this story is uh, is young Ilias. Yeah, Ilias is. It seems to be our destined hero, our destined savior, and Ilias is played by Andrea Ochapinti, born 1957. This is an Italian actor who worked with Fulci in 1982's New York Ripper, which I could be wrong. I remember that as not being a good one. Uh, maybe it has some appeal. But uh, other roles include Lamberto Bava's 1983 film, A Bleed in the Dark. But he seems to have made a bigger splash as a film producer and distributor involved in such films as 2011's This Must Be the Place, 2011's The Kid with the Bike, uh, Antichrist, Funny Games, Open Your Eyes, and many others. In this movie, he's our he's our wide eyed young hero. He's sort of the the Luke Skywalker to Jorge Rivero's Han Solo. Yes, yeah, and it, yeah, no spoilers yet, but it goes it goes in some unexpected places, but also not completely unexpected. Uh, we'll, we'll get into it. It's 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 interesting to think about. All right, uh, our central villain. We've already alluded to the um, uh, the half nude sorceress with the golden helmet for a head. Uh, this is the character Okron played by Sabrina Sani, uh, also credited as Sabrina Sellers. I think she's credited as Sabrina Sellers in this film. Um, that's sometimes the case, again, part of international distribution. Born 1963, Italian actress who was mostly active from 79 through 89 and retired from acting around 91. But during this time, she was in a bunch of Italian B-movies, many of which were, were violent, uh, gladiator or barbarian movies. Some of the titles include um, Gunan, King of the Barbarians, Ator, the Fighting Eagle. Uh, oh, 
That's the one that uh, MST3K covered as Cave Dwellers. Yeah. 2020 Texas Gladiators, The Throne of Fire, and Cobra Nero starring Fred Williamson. Wow, I don't think I've seen any of those except the Ator movie. Yeah, I think Ator's the only one I've seen. But yeah, she worked with such directors as Fulci, of course, Umberto Lindsay, Antonio Margheriti, um, Joe D'Amato, and Jess Franco. And yeah, and this she plays the evil witch queen, Okron, whose face is always obscured behind a golden mask. Uh, I'd say it's still a good performance given the limitations here. There's, um, this, is, this is not a, like a, a real human kind of role. No, this is a villain with super weird vibes. A scary head-covering helmet with the metal face mask, uh, pretty much naked otherwise, always has a snake, uh, mm-hmm. wears like a sort of feathery cape, and loves to do evil magic and order her werewolf soldiers to kill. Right. And eat brains. Also eats brains. Yes, eats brains. It does a weird, like, drugs through sort of like a cocaine blow dart gun. Yeah, yeah. Engage to, to, I guess, summon dream visions so that she can predict the future and then freak out about it. Um, uh, but another role in, in this film is the character Zora, which we'll get into, which is a char- character just covered head to toe in some sort of strange black armor from another dimension. Uh, it's a small part, uh, complete, again, completely obscured by a suit. So I'm uncertain if this is a physical role or a voice role or both, but the character is credited to Conrado San Martin, prolific Spanish actor with credit stretching from 1941 through 2015. He lived 1921 through 2019. He worked with such directors as Sergio Leone, uh, Jess Franco, and more. Oh, and we should mention the cinematographer, Alejandro Ulloa, who lived 1926 through 2004. This is the man responsible for all the soft focus and fog machines in the film, apparently. Other films of note include 1972's Horror Express, The Exterminators of the Year 3000, Operation Kid Brother. That one was was actually was, uh, featured on MST3K. That's the one with Sean Connery's brother in it, playing a Bond knockoff. Oh, yeah, that one's terrible, yeah. Uh, the Diabolical Dr. Z, that's no relation to Zat, and also the Paul Nashi werewolf movie from 1981, Night of the Werewolf. Is this the one you were showing me clips from the other week? I don't think so. There's a million of these, uh, and this okay. is not, not one that I've looked closely at. Okay, I'm going to say uh, true star of, of Conquest, the single best thing about the movie, the music. The music is a gamma ray burst. I love it. I absolutely agree. This is a great score. This is uh, by Claudio Simonetti, born 1952, a true synth legend. This is our second film to feature a Claudio Simonetti score. The first was Hands of Steel, which was a lot of fun. But I remember us commenting that while it had some nice moments, it maybe wasn't Claudio Simonetti at his finest. Mm-hmm. This one is just absolutely terrific. It's a gentle and ethereal in places, frightening and unsettling in other places. You know, it has that jarring synth quality um, mm-hmm. that you know, goes well with nightmare imagery. And there are notes here and there that reminded me a lot of the uh, IDM, the intelligent dance music genre to come. And indeed, you know, you have albums like Boards of Canada's Tomorrow's Harvest is heavily inspired by scores much like this, I'm to understand. If not, this film in particular, because again, Claudio Simonetti is a, a big name in when it comes to uh, synth scores of this era, certainly when you're looking at Italian cinema. I believe I've seen Claudio Simonetti in concert. I've seen Goblin, uh, so yeah. I think he was with them. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's the, of course, the, the longtime keyboardist. 
for Italian prog rock band Goblin. Uh, he's still active today, and yeah, he's had his hands in some of the most iconic scores of Italian genre uh, cinema. Uh, films like what? Uh, Suspiria, Deep Red, uh, also some lesser-known works that uh, that I really love, like Warriors of the Wasteland. Uh, that one's from 1983 as well, I think. The score for Conquest... I think is actually made even more wonderful by how it is sometimes very inappropriate for the scene you're watching. <laughs> like it doesn't always match the movie. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't, but it's the mu- the music is always great. I don't know if you see it enough times. It, I think those, they, they come together perfectly. Uh, <laughs> so I can't imagine any of these scenes without uh, the existing score. Now, sometimes it's the case where a really great score on one of these pictures has not been re-released and isn't available. Uh, this is not, it's not the case with uh, Conquest from Claudio Simonetti. You can stream it through all the major places. I, I had to go to the grocery store earlier today, and I, I streamed it to and from the grocery store. Uh, absolutely loved it. Uh, but if you're a vinyl collector, then you're also in luck because Rust Blade Records, the same, uh, the same company that put out the Hands of Steel vinyl, uh, they have it out in a limited vinyl release with movie poster, and it is fittingly printed on smoke transparent vinyl. It actually even has tracks that are not featured in the digital release, which uh, is exciting. It almost makes me wish I had a record player. What is the which which is the track that has that awesome uh, like? synth symbol beat that uh plays when they are uh throwing the 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 poop grenades at the werewolves in the camp (laughs) um i'm not sure is it the one that kind of goes dun 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 no i don't think so it's more it's more just percussive oh okay well i'm not sure exactly which track that is but um but i loved all the music i heard in the film Let's hear just a little bit, uh, if we can, uh, here, Seth, if we can have the, the, the legal limit on the, the track titled Black Birds. <laughs> Anyway, that one's definitely on the digital release. Uh, well worth picking up or, or checking out if this music is, is your jam like it is mine. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. 
I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. All right, let's dive into the plot. Rob, I could feel your love for the movie because I, I noticed that your notes about the plot were copious. Um, <laughs> and who can blame you? But so the the opening of this movie, it's weird. And I was trying to find uh, the way to describe it. I'd say it's like this. The opening shot is like you are trying to pull up a Google Street View of a bay in Australia that's famous for shark attacks, but the image won't finish loading. So it's just a blurry inlet with a blurry beach. And then this droning shimmering music of the spheres. Rob, is it kind of a little bit music from the hearts of space? Yeah, I think that's a very fair comparison. Uh, I mean, they do feature a lot of different sorts of music, uh, a lot of different ambient varieties of music on hearts of space, but yeah, a lot of the music that Simonetti did for this film has a very ethereal quality to it and is rather chill. Again, you have those alarming tracks, those jarring tracks, but a lot of it, a lot of it is just very relaxing, chill stuff. Then while we're we're watching, we're waiting for the uh, the street view to load, and it never does. Instead, we sort of fade into a different blurry view of the same scene, uh, and it's some kind of ritual. We see like wizards and some priestesses dressed in white robes, and we see an Ator kind of guy. And this is our this is our young hero Ilias. Yeah, this and the, this is their character that is is faded. 
uh, to journey into another land, right? He has a, a, a quest of sacrifice and courage. Sacrifice is mentioned at, at least once, if not a couple of times here. And he's going to be sent into an evil land. That's right. He, there's like a Santa Zeus character. <laughs> and Santa Zeus says, uh, you've chosen the path of courage and sacrifice, Ilias, a journey into the heart of a very dark and evil domain. Many blessings on you, son. You are an example of bravery among men. Come back safely and govern us with the wisdom of your experience. So it's almost like I think he's being sent on a journey into an evil land as tryouts to become king, maybe, or to become their leader. I guess it's like an excursion. He's supposed to learn and grow and then come back and, and rule them. But they're, they're not sending him in there uh, with nothing. They're, they put some leather armor on him. And then uh, Santa Zeus reaches out and like with a tractor beam grabs this bow. And this bow is a major plot device. It is the bow of Kronos. And uh, we find out that many suns ago, Kronos fought with this magic bow and drove back the terrible creatures that invaded the land. Uh, and we learn a legend. It's that when Kronos ran out of arrows and the sun dropped down from the sky and became arrows that shot from his bow as flames. And, uh, uh, and then Santa Zeus explains that this story means that Kronos had become a man and you have chosen the path of courage and sacrifice. You will not turn back. You are a man, etc. cetera. Uh, th there's some kind of repetitive talk in there about that. But then, uh, Ilias says, no matter what happens, I shall not forget these words. And I think that's incredibly wrong. He definitely, Definitely will forget those words. <laughs> now, it's this whole sequence, it's really unclear if these are supposed to be human characters or are these kind of like elven characters or are they gods? They, they, it's, it's, we, we quickly learn that they seem to have, at the very least, a level of technology above that of the denizens of the evil world that he's about to take a boat to. Yeah, no, I think they're supposed to be humans, but they come from a, a better place. So they're from this bay in Australia, wh whatever this is. And we learn through some dialogue later, like he's explaining to uh, Jorge Rivero, he's like, you know, in our place, we don't have to uh, hunt down food every time we're hungry. We actually have farms. We grow the food near where we live. And uh, Mace is like, oh, that's that's too complicated for me. <laughs> So it's just like, I think he comes from a place where they've got uh, more peace and more technology than in the evil land where most of the movie takes place. I think that's fair. But these people are still very much like fading in and out of focus and out of reality. So we have that dream layer of from Fulci that kind of throws everything potentially into question and keeps you wondering. Yeah. And speaking of layers, I mean, I think the film in the scene we are seeing multiple layers of camera exposure at the same time. And there are some shots in this opening sequence where it seems literally like there was gunk physically stuck to the camera lens because there are parts where there's like a blob in the frame and then the camera pans and the blob stays in the same place. Yeah. And I don't know enough about um, like the details of this sort of thing to know if, if what I'm looking at is just a, an artifact of like the, the quality of the remaining footage, or if this is something that's an artifact from whatever kind of technique they were doing, uh, in addition to like soft focus and fog to make this uh, look the way it does. Right. But it, so Ilias, he's got to go on his journey and then begin titles. And immediately I just typed like, OMG, the theme music is absolutely sick. Just mm -hmm. awesome. 
So some of these compositions, I think, also would have been really cool in uh, chiptunes form as like music to an NES game. Can't you imagine like the main uh, oh, yeah. conquest theme is like one of you know like a Batman for the NES style side scroller? Yeah, yeah. I think this is the track you're talking about here. Kind of has a vibe to it. Oh yeah. So Elias jumps on the boat. Everyone fades out of existence, and Elias is on his way to the new and evil land. Right. And so what goes on in the evil land? Well, they're going to show us. So we see like tribes of people hanging out, sitting around campfires, hanging out with goats. And then we see that all of these people are under the spell of a scary, evil, nude sorceress wearing a metal mask who like makes them worship her. And then she sends werewolf soldiers to attack them and rip them, literally rip them apart. That's right. Okran, as we, we, we learn her name is, she causes the sun to rise and the people of this land worship her. And she sends, she sends forth her minions, which I thought was very interesting that her minions consists of people in beast masks with kind of like wooden beast masks and furs. And then there are people who have become half beast that are like werewolves or dogmen. Uh, so they they come rampaging down. They they meet with the uh, the humans who live here that are kind of like they're goat herds and maybe hunter gatherers. Uh, they demand tribute, but uh, refuse the offer of goat flesh. And they also refuse the the tribal leader who's like, "Take me, I'm old." And they're like, "No, no, you're too old." Okram prefer, prefers young flesh, and Okra's demands must be met. We're told otherwise she will plunge them all into eternal night because, again, she commands the sun. And so then the dog men rip a woman from the tribe limb from limb and carry her head back to Okran. It's a really gross scene. But then it's immediately funny after that because so the werewolves bring the severed head back and Okran starts eating the brains of the severed head and she goes yum uh there's the feast of the brains and then the, the we have the gentle claudio simonetti music playing and the werewolf beings take these like straws and they they take turns blowing some sort of substance into each other's nostril and then one of them blows the substance uh, through the nostrils of the mask of okron and then she begins to writhe on a bed of furs while a snake crawls over. And then she is given the dream prophecy, a dream prophecy of her own death in which a faceless warrior jumps out of the mist and slays her with an arrow of light. Oh, I mean, so we just heard about a prophecy of this kind. Sounds like sounds like Ilias and Okron here are going to clash. Yeah, yeah. It seems like there's, they're destined to run into each other. But okay, Ilias, is, uh, he's arrived in the land now, so he's going to be wandering around, and he starts meeting people. That's right. He uh, saves a, a human water gatherer from a snake, uh, kills the snake with his arrow. I, I think this might be important later on. Uh, but then, hey, the agents of Okron are watching, and they're like, hey, that guy's got a bow. Uh, the, I think there was a dream about this. We're supposed to be on the lookout for this guy. So they jump out and they attack him after the, the human water gatherer has left. It looks like Elias might not be long for this world, but then Mace jumps in and makes the save. This is, a, a, I think, a pretty fun fight uh, because uh, is this the first time we get to see uh, Mace use those fun uh, like stone bone nunchucks that he has? Well, this is the first time we see Mace at all. But yeah, oh, yeah. in the very first scene, he's, he's swinging around his rock nunchucks yes. and uh, just whirling them and whacking the... 
I don't know, are there werewolves here? I think there are, but they're, they're also just dudes in masks. Uh, he beats them all up and they run away. And so, you know what, Mace, what a good guy. He's, he's helping Ilias out, but then we find out that, uh, maybe he's not so initially friendly because he explains, he's like, oh, I'm not your friend. Every man is my enemy. Yeah, but animals are his friends because he almost immediately engages in some bird rescue. There's like a bloody bird and he's like, let's get this bird cleaned up. And so he rescues the bird. It's very sweet. He's actually got a tattoo on his head, though. Uh, like he has a face tattoo and he says, see this tattoo. It means every man is my enemy. To let them know. I guess it doesn't really help Mace out because he can't actually see it. Right. How's he going to get a job with that? <laughs> Now, there's a great scene that follows where we have, we're back in Okron's Misty Chambers, and a wounded, I think a human soldier here, one of her minions, is there telling her about this fabulous weapon, this new weapon technology that this stranger had. And so she's instantly interested, uh, and of course, this ties in with her, her vision. So she sends her lieutenant wolfman, I think this guy is, the, her, her main wolfman is sometimes called Fargo or Furgo or something. Uh, she's like, hey, go out and get this bow, get this guy. So she sends him out. He, he, he and, and the rest of the crew are out to find this guy. So I think, did you understand it the same way that there are no bows in this land? This is the yes. first time any of them has seen a bow and arrow. Right. So even ignoring the idea that this bow might one day shoot arrows of light, the mere fact that it shoots arrows is instantly uh, awing everybody in this land. Like this is new weapon technology and and that alone is is of note. Uh, meanwhile, Ilias is just kind of handing it around like he lets Mace use it. Yeah. He's like, check it out. And Mace is like, oh, this is good. This is a good weapon. And in fact, Mace uses it to kill a man almost immediately. There's this, there's a, like a guy over here that's uh, he's got some sort of a dead animal, you know, hunter gatherer. Mace murders him with the bow, and then goes and steals the animal flesh from him. And and it's a deeply weird scene that's thankfully expanded upon. Uh, there's this there's this great scene at the campfire where uh, Elias and Mace are eating the meat, and uh, Mace explains when a man meets a man, you never know which one will die. But when an animal meets a man, it's always the animal that dies. I'm on the animal side. And then Elias says, isn't that this an animal you're eating? And May says, I didn't kill him. <laughs> Very good point. Yeah. Is, is roadkill vegan? I Possibly. <laughs> It, the, well, yeah, Mace has a very particular code of honor here. Like, he is a friend of the animals. He is an enemy of all men. He's not going to go hunting animals and eating them, but he has to eat. And so if he encounters a human, well, the all, men, all men are his enemy. So he can certainly kill those men and get their food, even if that food is an animal that had been previously killed. But it's not long into this feast before there's some sort of commotion outside, um, Ilias is like, it's probably animals prowling for, for food. And May says, no, it's probably men looking for trouble. So they grab their weapons, they go out there, uh, or they start to go out. And then here are the agents of Okron are attacking again. They've lit some fires. And so our heroes have to escape into the caverns. They seem trapped. But then this is where we have that kind of Raiders of the Lost Ark moment where they're like, oh, here's a snake. Uh, and uh, this is one of the many scenes in which Mace is guided by animals. And so he follows the snake and they're able to escape once more. And what, Ilias gets freaked out by the snake, but um, uh, but Mace explains uh, a snake is harmless as long as he doesn't bite you. <laughs> This, of course, is in stark contrast to Ilias' slaying of a snake earlier. Yeah. 
Now we get some of the more whimsical Claudio Simonetti music and the, the scenes that follow, uh, followed by joyous music, because first our heroes steal a dead sheep uh, from, from, a, from a guy. They don't kill him, but they make off with the, the meat, and then they run off, and we have joyous music, and they head to the, this uh, population of cave people. And these are the folks they're going to hang out with, and they're going to cook some goat flesh with. Uh, Mace has basically got like a, a, a sort of on and off girlfriend here at the cave. And so they're hanging out at the cave to eat mutton and party. That's right. There's a, an intense meat eating scene with another great Claudio Simonetti track uh, going on. Uh, a lot of scenes of you yeah, sitting around the fire eating the meat. There's an attempted seduction of Elias by one of the cave women. But before this can go anywhere, the agents of Okron attack once more. They kill the human woman. They, they actually kill all the, ca- the human denizens of the cave. They knock Mace out, and Elias is taken prisoner. So there's a recurring thing in this movie where the uh, the bad guys hit somebody over the top of the head with a rock or, or with an axe or something. And every single time it does the same thing, which is it seems to just like completely remove the entire top of their head in terms of skin and bone and just like creates a perfect perfectly exposed brain meat uh hemisphere yeah it's a it's one of these gory perhaps not realistic uh bits of of violence in the film but it's very it certainly makes an impression on you and i think it lines up with that idea of fulci's um fascination with the fragility of flesh like mm-hmm. one blow to the head is just instant brain exposure in this film so there were a number of moments in this movie that i found really funny but one of the legitimate laugh out loud uh ones is when okay everybody's been killed Ilias is kidnapped mace is left alone things are horrible everything's so grim this this horrible kidnapping and murder has taken place dark synth music is playing and then suddenly mace looks up at the sky and there's like happy bird squawking and it's so funny the the birds will guide him yeah the birds are his guide uh, multiple times here and he's like hey birds <laughs> <laughs> Well, so the birds, yeah, are going to clearly take him to Elias. Meanwhile, Elias is, is held captive by this whole war band of, of humans and dogmen. And there's this great scene, or I, I thought it was great, where they're, they're, yeah. they stop for the night and they're, they're tying Elias to a, a stake. And the head, like the lieutenant of the dogmen, comes forward and he says, I take you to Okran alive. Okran, make you die. And then there's more. Okran rule the sun and make night and day. And he and Elias says, that's not true. No one can rule the sun. And then the werewolf just growls. <laughs> Clearly wasn't prepared for this level of um, oh. philosophical discussion. This is a fundamentalist, Okranist werewolf. And he, it, it, Ilias just tried to explain evolution to him and he did not take kindly to it. But I like how this kind of this more than implies that Okron might act, even though she clearly is messing around with some dark, deep magic. She may not actually control the sun. This may also this may just be a hoax that she's perpetrating in order to control the uh, Stone Age peoples of this land. Oh, that is how I read it. I read it as mm-hmm. she does not actually have any power whatsoever over the sun, and she has just convinced people she does. Right, but she clearly has some power. She's not to be messed with. And we find out later from Mace, like Mace is like, look, I leave her alone. She leaves me alone. We have this whole truce thing going on. 
But, I mean, uh, Mace is d- uh, interfering with her business here because Mace rescues Ilias and uh, rescues him from the camp uh, in this great scene where there are dung grenades. I guess they're dung grenades. Yeah, he's, you see him grab these balls of possible dung, wraps them in leaves, and then later he's throwing them into the, the, the dogmen's campfire and causes this big explosion. This scene has awesome music. Yeah, we get some more fighting. Some uh, so it's a successful rescue, and then but this means that the the head werewolf, the head dog man, has failed, and so the following scene is him being roasted alive on a great glowing rock in Okron's lair, and we get more terrific music on top of this. Yes, and now there's a great part where Okron is like. I'm going to need some help. So mm-hmm. what am I going to do? I'm going to appeal to a really evil God. Yeah. So she goes back to the dream time, uh, you know, back to the, the furs and the, the snakes. And she summons uh, the, the king of darkness, the master of treachery, the light of all evil. Uh, she, she reaches over and there's a dog there. There's like a wolf dog uh, next to, uh, to where she's laying. And she transforms, or this creature transforms into Zora, a towering figure in black armor, who then agrees to help her, but she must promise her soul in return. This doesn't seem to be a, a, a big sticking point for her. She's just like, done, yeah, soul. Yeah, she's like, I've got to get this guy taken care of. So yes, whatever whatever the cost, I'm in. So we, we cut back to, to Mace and uh, and Elias. They're discussing Okron, and and Okron's like, we we gotta we gotta take Okron out. She's too powerful. She's 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 no good. And Mace is like, you don't want to go messing with Okron. She's way too powerful. And I maintain this kind of neutrality with her. Um, and uh, while they're having this discussion. Zora attacks them. We get poison arrows <laughs> ripping through the sky, and uh, the, and our heroes flee from this. They flee by raft, but right as they're getting on the raft, Elias takes a dart in the leg, and then the poison threatens to overcome him. Wait, I'm sorry to back up just a moment, but is this the scene where the form that Zora takes in order to attack them is as bushes? Oh, I didn't take it that he was the bush, but there is some kind of like bush shaking going on. Yeah. Okay. You think he's something in the bush or I don't know. I, I, I just thought he was the wind carrying darts of poison. I'm not sure. I guess I thought this was the Lord of darkness possessing some shrubbery and using that evil shrubbery to shoot poison darts at our heroes. (laughs) And that could be it. Powerful, uh, divine or infernal entities have been known to speak through vegetation. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. 
It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Well, anyway, Ilias is hit with a poison dart here, and then Fulci is like, let's get a look at that. Yeah. <laughs> let's spend some time. On these, uh, these, these pus oozing sores, blood oozing sores, uh, as Elias arrives uh, with fever and delirium, we just spend a lot of time watching these these sores uh, swell up and then erupt. And there's a whole sequence after this. This that's pretty great, but Mace has to go retrieve a medicinal herb that will cure. Uh, the poison that's in Ilias's blood now. Uh, but in order to do so, he has to fight his way through a whole bunch of bog zombies. And mm-hmm. uh, this this part is great. Some of the zombies are a little less human than others, or some are just kind of like decaying human corpses. But there are some, Rob, I don't know if you noticed this, that like sort of don't have faces, like their heads are just sort of a big lobe. 
Yeah, yeah. These are these are Fulci zombies, and you know he's going to deliver when it comes to the undead. This is also a scene that has just maximum smoke machined and, and soft focus. So at times it's 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 all it's almost difficult to to make out exactly what's happening. But still, there's some great zombie slaying action. You definitely get to see some zombie juices splurting. But Mace does make it all the way back with the medicinal herb, uh, though th- there's there's a little bit of a twist before uh, before we get the treatment here, right? That's right, because we see Mace arrive back at Elias, and uh, and Mace is, Mace is like, all right, I'm here, I'm going to give it to you. And then he lifts up a rock like he's going to smash Elias with it. But then, no, we realize this is an evil double of Mace. The real Mace shows up, and we have a mirror match. The fake Mace is brandishing a wooden club, and real Mace is, of course, using those stone bone nunchucks. And we get a fun fight scene here. Uh, eventually, legit Mace... Uh, has uh, his double pinned down, and the double reveals itself as Zora, the black-armored um, entity from another dimension or whatever, and then Zora vanishes and laughs. Yeah, the, the Mace versus Mace fight scene is great, uh, but Mace, per- the real Mace prevails, and Ilias is nursed back to health by Mace putting these little like leaves all over his skin. And uh, and then, basically, Ilias is like, all right, uh, peace out. I'm the see you later. I'm going to go mm-hmm. uh, get back on my boat and go across the ocean and go back to our, our nice peaceful farming community. And Mace is like, that's a great decision. You should definitely do that. He tries to give him his bow, doesn't he? He's like, here, you love violence. You should use this. Yeah. And he's like, no, this, he says, this weapon is still too dangerous for this land. So Mace is very reasonable. Like he, resi- he, he turns down the, the one ring here. That's right. So the, they part ways. Yeah. Meanwhile, back in Okran's lair, Zora uh, assures Okran, look, it's going to be done. I'm going to take care of it. He's not going to live much longer. Uh, but she, and she's, she, does, she seems to sort of doubt this a little bit. And she's very insistent, like, look, he needs to die. The archer needs to die uh, because of my visions. So uh, at this point, yeah, Elias has seemingly set off to return to his, his land. Mace is marching on his own business. I'm not sure where he's going, but he's headed that way. He's going through a rocky coastal region. And suddenly there are these moaning, chirping creatures amidst the rocks. Um, They are, they are strange. They are kind of difficult to describe. I was going to describe them as a bunch of pit pats from Mr. Show, but just covered in cobwebs. (laughs) Yeah. They're kind of like cobweb covered Morlocks with big glassy green eyes. But they're, I, I, I think they're, I mean, they're obviously not real. You don't look at these creatures and say like, oh, real organisms, what are they? No, no, these are, these are obviously movie monsters. But there's, there's a, a level of detail uh, to these guys that I, I thought was, was really impressive. Like I, I buy them as impressive movie monsters. They have some sort of strange life going on here in the rocks. And now they're jumping out and they're coming after Mace. Grabbing at his ankles saying, take it from me. I love you. <laughs> they, they do have weird voices. They, they get a net over him. And then the lead web Morlock creature here says, where is your friend? And he's like, I don't have any friends. I'm Mace. And he's like, you lie. I will make you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of robot computer voice, isn't it? Yeah. Meanwhile, Elias is, is out on the boat, headed home, but he's, he's having doubts. He's having some voiceover doubts that are reminding him that his is a path of courage and sacrifice. So what does he do? He turns the boat around, he looks up, he sees birds, and he's like, those birds will take me to Mace. 
That's right. Yeah. Remember what Santa Zeus said, uh, you yes. will be courage and a man. And so he's, he's back into the action. Yeah. And it really, the movie just gets crazier and crazier from here on out. Um, you know, obviously Mace doesn't snitch to these cobweb Morlock creatures. Um, he also may be wrestling with the notion of human friends and, and what it means to have a friend. Uh, but the creatures intend to make him die in water. They've lashed him to uh, some cross beams. But then Elias shows up, and Elias has now mastered the true power of the bow of Kronos. He is no longer afraid. So when he pulls back uh, the string, he's able to uh, cause the bow to glow with like laser energy and shoot laser arrows for everyone. It's powerful. Now, I have to note that uh, it is also in the uh, in the Conan the Barbarian movie that Conan gets crucified. And that's in this true. movie, Mace gets crucified. I don't think that's a coincidence. <laughs> but a big difference is that Conan gets crucified in the desert. And here, Mace is crucified on the shoreline. And his cross tumbles into the water. Like, he's, cru- he fa- he's attached to the beams, and he falls into the surf. That's right. Lucky for, for Mace, though, he's got friends underwater as well, because then the dolphins show up and the dolphins start breaking his bonds. They, they yeah. start freeing him from the cross. Literally, the dolphins are chewing the ropes off of his wrists to free him. I love this. Like, if you could, just another level of, like, late 70s, early 80s weirdness to have the dolphins show up. Uh, to, totally unexpected in this film and save the day. Okay, so Mace and Elias are back together, um, and uh, it's, there's got to be a showdown, right? Right. They realize now Okron has to go. Like, we're, we're both united on this front now. We're both brave about it. We both realize there's no other way around it. So they set out that way towards her mountain, but they realize, well, it's better to travel by night because we don't want to go across all this open ground during the daytime. So they set up camp. But of course, the freaks come out at night. Uh, Elias is pulled into the ground by these claws that come out of the earth. He's pulled into dark caverns by Okron's minions. Mace goes after him. But then we get this scene where it's just lots of claws and red eyes in the dark. There's blue and black combat. Mace eventually overcomes his attackers. This scene, uh, you you cannot see what is happening in this no. scene. <laughs> it's just some blurry, dark shapes moving around uh but there was there is an extremely hilarious part where bats start attacking mace i revealed this earlier the bats start attacking him and he whips out his nunchucks and starts screaming at the bats as he like whirls it around above his head but then he seems to realize oh they're bats i'm a friend of all animals and then the bats kind of guide him out yeah yeah but then tragedy, because he's moving along through the cavern. It seems like the, the, the surface is just ahead. There's light. But then there's a dripping of blood on his shoulder. He looks up, and there is Elias's headless body hanging from the ceiling, dripping blood down on him. That's right, folks. Our young hero is dead. Like, really dead. Like, headless. Yeah. <laughs> it's decapitated. It's shocking. Yeah. So we get a scene where Zora, the uh, the, the black armored demon being from beyond, brings this this head to to Okron, and uh, she says, "While his flesh is still warm, I shall open his temple of secrets and devour him." So, in other words, it's it's time to eat it, eat the head's brains. But before she can strike, she like gets the striker to bash open the skull like she did earlier. But then the eyes of the head open and she says, Zora, you idiot. She doesn't say you idiot, but she says, Zora, you have slain his body, but not his soul. And she realized that she's still in danger from the omen. 
I don't know what that means. How was she? How was he supposed to slay Ilias's soul? I don't know. It's magic stuff. We're not. We're not meant to understand the ways of wizards. Okay. But she seems pretty convinced that like you didn't really pull this off because look, the eyes on this head opened. There is a uh, scene where Mace burns the rest of Ilias's body, and uh, Fulci's like, "Let's get a look at that." Yeah, let's watch all of this. Um, you know, I think he he realized that a lot of times when a body is burned in a motion picture, you don't really get to see everything that happens. <laughs> so this movie makes sure to show you everything from the initial uh, licking of the flames across the body to the melting of the fat and finally the, the charring of the skeleton itself. Uh, at the risk of reaching, I'd say uh, the cinematography right here actually seems kind of interesting, especially when compared to the convention within existing Peplum movies of spending just lots of time lingering over the uh, immensely mountainously fleshed bodies of the of the heroes, where you're just like panning over their gleaming muscles. Uh, here you're panning over the bones as all the flesh has been removed. Yeah, yeah, and this is this is something that Robert A. Rushing spends a fair amount of time in the in the book talking about. Yeah, the the the, the rendering, the annihilation of the hero body in this film. And then Mace is left, like Mace is taken pretty hard. And then Mace decides that he will avenge him. He like swears to avenge Elias and he covers his body in the smeared ashes of his dead friend. And so now we're on a collision course. It's Mace versus Okron. Uh, These two are going to battle. Uh, Two may enter, only one can survive. I was surprised how quickly this battle was over. Mace shows up, and now he's wielding Elias's bow, the bow of Kronos, and using the the multi shot lasers, and he just he just gets it done really quick. Yeah, so, so the way it goes down, Okron with Zora by her side, she comes once more to those goat herding people. She's got to do the the rising of the sun ritual to keep you know this con going. But then, yeah, Mace shows up. He opposes her on an opposite peak. Uh, he calls for the bow. It comes to him. And then Zora just kind of like turns and looks at Okron and just vanishes. He just like completely pieces out. It's like one of those memes where like Homer is fading into the, the shrubbery or, yes. uh, or, the, or the kid is just uh, slowly vanishing. Uh-huh. Zora's like, I just remembered I have to go return some videotapes. Uh. <laughs> yeah. So Zora's gone. Okron sends her warriors after after Mace, but he's got the laser arrows now, so he just takes them out. She teleports back to her lair, but then Mace shoots a laser arrow through the side of the mountain, which destroys her golden helm, which uh, reveals that she has this wretched, uh, like, monster face, like a hag's face underneath. Then Mace teleports into the lair somehow, I guess with the power of the bow and vengeance uh, and cinematography. Uh, And uh, he's in the lair now, and so he draws back the bow once more, finishes her off with another laser arrow, completing the prophecy. It seems more or less like her her own visions of her own death earlier in the, the film. And then, oh, this is this is the perhaps the most amazing uh, demise of a villain ever in a motion picture, because uh, yeah, he appears, he finishes off with a laser arrow. She falls to the misty floor. the The music intensifies, and then then she transforms into a wolf dog, very very much like the wolf dog that she transformed into Zora earlier in the picture. That wolf dog runs off with another wolf into the wilderness, and then Mace, too, strides off into the wilds as the sun rises once more. It just 
a weird, weird ending, but also feels like it's resonating with some sort of hidden Fulci mystery. Beautiful, beautiful. So did you interpret that as she's not actually killed? She just becomes a wolf? I don't know. I mean, there's a lot going on in this movie with the the relationship between humans and animals. Uh, I mean, we have Mace, who is the friend of animals, and Elias doesn't really understand this and has to sort of learn how to trust the animals. There's the fact that Okron uses... Like her minions are all wearing like beast masks or have become part beast. She uses a, a a wolf or a dog to transform and manifest Zora. Then she turns into a dog or wolf when she dies. Uh, yeah, there's it's it's strange. Uh, it's 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 weird stuff. I love it. I feel like there's some sort of there's some sort of hidden meaning behind all of this. There's some sort of. Um, uh, like untranslated scripture beneath all of these strange images. Let us turn now to the book of Okron, chapter three, <laughs> verse 14. I don't know what happens next. Like, is Mace going to go explain what happened to the people or are they just really freaking out because they think the sun isn't going to complete its rising now or if it sets again, it's never going to come up. But Mace probably doesn't care. He, he's not a friend of all humans. He's All humans are his enemies. He's more concerned with the animals. Do you think Mace has become more friendly to humans in general by the end? I think so. I think, yeah, I think his friendship with Ilias changed him. I think we see growth in his character. I think we see growth in both their characters, yeah. Could have been a sequel. <laughs> oh, you, you can't have a sequel to a, a, a film this perfect. Like, they, they nailed it. They absolutely nailed it. <laughs> Uh, there's a fun bit on the the, the, the interview with um, Rivera, where they were talking. He was talking about filming this and how about how how much of a perfectionist Fulci was. How he'd have the entire crew with him, and they're on this um, this this uh, Italian island that's normally a vacation island, but this was in the winter, it was the off season, and they'd march out into the middle of nowhere, and he'd go. No, no, this isn't right. Let's keep going. And so they keep marching, and they get to some new location. Then he go. No, they'll just go back to the other place. <laughs> they march back and film there. Mm. Uh, so uh, it, it seems like he, he put a put a lot of lot of energy into this one. And I I think maybe some of his, from what I understand, some of his later films were were marred by by illness. Uh, but uh, and then of course there were with films of this caliber, there are all, always budgetary issues. But uh, this one it feels feels very complete. I feel like this. Again, there's some sort of hidden scripture behind this film mm. leaking in from another dimension. All right, we're going to go ahead and close it out there, but obviously we'd love to hear from everyone. Do you have memories of Conquest? Um, uh, certainly, if you ever saw this in the theater, uh, if you happen to catch this one on 42nd Street back in the day or something, let us know. Um, if you have memories of seeing it on VHS or various DVD releases over the years or thoughts on other Fulci films, uh, yeah, write in. We'd love to hear from you. In the meantime, uh, if you would like to follow all the movies we've covered on Weird House Cinema, you can go to letterboxd.com. That's L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-D. We have a uh, we have an account on there just called Weird House, and you can find a list of all the movies that we've covered so far, and you can see like some wonderful visualizations of those those the, those box arts. Uh, you can sort them by decade and by order of release and so forth. And we also have links to the individual episodes there. And I also blog about these individual episodes at samutamusic.com. I'll be sure to embed the Claudio Simonetti music on that post. Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stuff to blow your mind. Dot com. 
Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL Schedule Release, presented by Verizon, coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com.